chapter, nine verses. Before we get started, before we pray, let me uh, just remind you, I forgot to announce last week, uh, Rex Howe, the president of Tri-State Bible College, will be speaking here Sunday morning. Rex is a great, great guy. He's uh, going to be speaking, and I hope that you all will come and you will want to hear him. He is very, very well articulated with the word, and he is a, a great expositor, and we're excited to be able to have him. Uh, he, uh, he has been here, but not have, he has not spoken in this church since he's been president. So um, many of you might know Rex. And if not, you'll get to meet him, he and his family. They're great people. He's doing a fantastic job down at the Bible College. Um, so you'll want to hear him. He's had an extensive uh, research and education training. He was in Dallas Seminary is where he went to after Tri-State Bible College, went to Dallas Seminary. And there he worked with Dan Wallace and on the scriptures and the um, old, old, manuscripts and he's very well versed in the scriptures and uh, so anyhow if you could be here Sunday you will be blessed I promise you that okay all right Isaiah chapter 31 also Sunday evening at five o'clock we'll have our Awana meeting if you're going to work in Awana or you're interested in discovering what Awana is about and whether or not you want to work in it won't you come to the meeting in the CE building 5 p.m. Sunday it's an hour before we start church uh, Sunday evening over there, we would love for you to show up. It is a great, wonderful program. All right, Isaiah 31, let's read in verse 1, but first let's pray. Father, we ask you to speak to us this evening as we work through the scriptures. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that you would teach us your word. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in tune with you, that our, our minds would be receptive, and we would not be distracted and God, I ask you to work in our midst. I need you, Father. I pray that you would just speak through me uh, for your honor and your glory. Lord, I cannot do this without you. I need you. I pray for the children over in children's ministries in the CE building. I pray you'd bless them and all the teachers over there. May you be glorified is our, our request, our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Amen. Uh, before we dive into Isaiah 31, there are two verses I would like to read, and I, I've read them before, but I, I want to constantly uh, rehash this uh, so that you get this in your mind, that you don't let it wander too far. The first verse is Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. The Old Testament is written for our learning, that we through patience might have hope, that we might look at what they did in the Old Testament and learn from it. So it's critical because there are a lot of people who don't like to deal with the Old Testament. But remember, the Old Testament is just as much as the Word of God as is the New Testament. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, another one more verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, the Word of God says, now all these things happen to them as examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. He was speaking of the Old Testament saints and all that they went through. And all the scripture is written for our admonition. So the Old Testament is, 
is wonderful. It's alive. Man, I love to read the Old Testament. There are so many stories. If you like action and you like adventure, man, you go to the Old Testament. These guys were scallywags. They could fight now. I mean, there's a lot of action and adventure, but there's also a lot of deep, weighty truths in the Word of God. And as I come to this, it's not on the screen, but I want to remind you of this. I, I found this in my daily Bible reading, and I try to read it every day and remind myself it's Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carve images. I refresh that in my mind. I try to read it every day because He is the Lord. That is His name, and it is to be revered, and we are to love and worship and adore Him. We come to the text tonight. God is telling Judah they're in trouble. They are in trouble. His judgment is coming upon them. He's not going to change his mind. He is going to bring judgment on them. And I want you to see here in verse 1 the problem. What was the big deal in all this? What was the big deal? Why is God going to unleash his judgment on Judah? Isaiah 31 verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt... For help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Here's the context Judah finds out that Assyria is coming to take over, to attack them. And rather than Judah turning to the Lord for help and seeking Him, and trusting in him, they go down to Egypt for help. We've discussed this before. Egypt is a pagan nation. They were not a godly nation. They were a pagan nation. And they are turning to the pagans to seek help, thinking that because they had a bunch of horses, they had a bunch of chariots, and they had a bunch of soldiers, that they would prevail and they would be over this problem or this trouble or this judgment. But he says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. For help. This is very, very important that we understand this. The person or the thing that you go to first when you need help reveals the prioritization of your life. It reveals who is most prominent in your life. These are God's people, and God wanted them to depend on Him. They wanted them, He wanted them to trust Him. There is no greater insult than you can give God than not to trust Him. Just like as a parent, your child can give you no greater insult than to not trust you. We see the foolishness of not trusting God. They went to Egypt for help and they thought because if they had more horses and they had more chariots and they had more soldiers, they could defeat this impending judgment or this impending army. They didn't really accept it as judgment, but God's saying, no, it's judgment. The reason it's, reason it's coming is because it's judgment upon you. You have idols. You have worshipped idols. I am not your Lord. You are supposed to be my people. I'm supposed to be your Lord. And you have all these idols. Well, how do you know they have idols? In verse 7, 
He says, For in that day every man shall throw away his idols of silver, his idols of gold, sin, which your own hands have made for yourselves. So they were, they were full of idolatry. And their foolishness was not trusting in the Lord. May I say to you, listen to me, please. When you fail to trust in the Lord, when you refuse to trust in the Lord, let me say that, you open the door for idolatry to come in. Idolatry is anything, and some people argue with this, and you can have you know, whatever definition you want of idolatry, but idolatry is anything that you give more affection, attention, love to than you do the Lord. And this is exactly what they did. And in contrast, he says, But who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord? They left the Lord out of the equation. How many times in our lives do we make decisions without the Lord? Has anyone here ever made a decision without the Lord and come to find out it was a bad decision? Yeah. Anybody ever what I call learned a lesson to the bone? <laughs> yeah. We have. But they thought because, number one, their thinking is, if we have more people, we can defeat them. But let me remind you, if you have God on your side, you don't need the majority. You don't need them. If you have God, you do not need the majority. And most times, the majority leads us away from God. That's why I don't put any stock in polls. Polls to me are ridiculous. You know why? Polls are based on what people think. Has anyone ever thought wrongly? Of course. So when someone puts out a, a nationwide poll that says 60% of the uh, country uh, believes that, uh, you know, in same-sex in same marriage, I, I, I don't, it, it's an opinion. It doesn't matter. I believe what God's Word says. And any number of issues, what God's Word says takes precedence over what opinions. But who do not seek to the Holy One of Israel? Isn't it a shame when we claim to know the name of God? We claim to be His people, yet we fret just as much as the world frets. Do we really trust Him, church? It's foolish to refuse trusting the Lord. Now, we can trust Him for a salvation because nobody wants to go to hell. That's, that's a given. But do we trust Him daily for everything? I would say that maybe perhaps there are some things we're good at trusting Him and there are some things we're bad at trusting Him. But the nation of Israel turned to these other gods because primarily they didn't trust the Lord. And I mean... To me, it's, it's ludicrous to pray before a statue made with hands and expect that statue to do anything for you. I mean, there are guys who pray, women who pray to this short, little, fat, bald guy who sits with his legs crossed in a golden statue thinking it's going to do something for him. And there are many people in that religion. Notice what he says in verse 2. Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster. He, it's capitalized, it's referring to God. 
It is God who is wise, and he will bring disaster. What happens to those who trust in others rather than trusting in God? Because I want to tell you this, there's only two options. Either you trust in God or you don't. You can't have it straddling the fence. You cannot do it. You have it one way or another. You're trusting God or you're trusting man or someone else or something else. You cannot, you cannot turn to man in faith and God at the same time. It's one or the other. One or the other. The Apostle Paul said, put no confidence in the flesh. Do not turn to man. And so, what happens when those who trust in others? Well, disaster comes. Look at verse 2. Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster and will not call back his words. God will not change his mind. He will not say something and call it back. He will not do that. But will arise against the house of evildoers. In the context, who's the house of evildoers? It's Judah. It's Judah. Now, not only will he arise against them, but also against the help, Egypt, of those who work iniquity. Why? Well, verse 3 tells us why. The Egyptians are just men. They're not God. That's what verse 3 says. Now the Egyptians are men and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, both he who helps will fall and he who is helped will fall down. They all will perish together. Here, watch this. When you seek help from someone other than God, not only will you perish for not trusting in him, but the one who helps you will perish also. What? Is it wrong to accept help? No, it's not wrong to, and, and I'm talking about in the context of trust. Let me illustrate this for you. Now, I'm going to probably make some people mad in here, and if I do, that's not my intention. I love you. But just think about this. We had a president, President Trump, and everybody, um, the majority of the people loved him, and I'm not here to one way or another. I'm just telling you, I'm just showing you something. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. I heard phrases coming from Christians who wore shirts and hats that said something like this, In Trump we trust. People idolized President Trump. And the Christian crowd thought that President Trump was going to, I guess, bring a national revival. And what happened? We can argue over whether it's rigged or not rigged, but I'll tell you this. What happened was we both lost. We both lost because we were trusting in him to do what only God could do. Only God can restore America back to greatness. Only God. And we used to believe that in our churches, but we've become so ingrained with trusting man, we think that someone, whoever he is, whatever, whatever party he's in, gets in there, he's going to change the trajectory of this country. You know, I don't worry about Israel because there are promises in the Bible for Israel. I worry about America because I can't find American prophecy. I cannot. Now, there are some speculations about the eagle and all this and all this stuff. But America is not named in prophecy. And rather than us trusting in the Lord for Him to fix our problems, we give our trust to men. 
I'm not telling you that you should not be responsible in your voting. You know that. You should vote the Bible. You know that. I'm not telling you that. But what I'm telling you is be careful of trusting in man because both the church and the man will lose. They will all perish together. Now I find this interesting in verse 4. There's a little shift here that takes place. After this prophecy is giving of the impending doom that's coming, the Lord stands up and has something to say. For thus the Lord has spoken to me, Isaiah says, as a lion roars and a young lion over his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor be disturbed by their noise. So, kind of like that illustration, the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill. Like birds flying about, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending, he will also deliver it. Passing over, he will preserve it. I find this fascinating. Because in this, we understand historically, if I'm right, 46 40 fortified cities of Judah were destroyed by the Assyrian, Assyrian army. When the Assyrian army gets to Jerusalem, they're camped at night. And while they're camped, the angel of the Lord comes down and kills the majority of the Assyrian army. And Sennacherib goes back to Assyria with his tail tucked between his legs. He goes into his temple a false temple, and bows down before the false god and his two sons kill him. God permitted Assyria to wipe out 46 of those fortified cities, but he would not let them touch Jerusalem. You know why? Because of the promise of his faithful remnant. We have the promise of God. I don't know why that thing does that. We have the promise of God. And the promise of God is that he will take care of his church. We don't have to sell out. We don't have to give ourselves away. We don't have to give our trust away. We have the promises of God just like this faithful remnant. He will defend us. He will deliver us. He will preserve us. Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why. We have the same promise so we should be extremely loyal to the Lord capital L capital O capital R capital D in your Bible as I read to you earlier my name is the Lord and I will not I will not Share my glory with someone else. I will not share my praise with carved images. Now, verse 6 is a call to repentance. This should be a wake-up call for the life of the believer who reads the Old Testament and says, what's going on in this Old Testament? Well, these people are trusting in everything but the Lord. Where is my faith? 
not the object of your faith because Jesus said if you have, or I mean, excuse me, not the amount of your faith because Jesus said if you have faith, the, the amount of a, a mustard seed. It's the object of your faith. Who do I trust? This is easy to talk about, isn't it? It's easy to preach. But when you're in the midst of real trouble and you need real help, does anyone else find it difficult to trust the Lord? Does anyone else like me try to tell the Lord what he needs to do to fix this problem? Yeah, thank you, Bill. Me and you, I guess, brother. We do that. And notice what he says in verse 6. Isaiah says, return to him. It's a call to repentance. Return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. That's strong language. This is not some little elementary thing that has happened, that has befallen Israel. This is something that's calculated. This is something of a revolution. It's a revolting against God. And Isaiah says, return to him whom you deeply revolted. It's an insult to God. And if you'll just turn, if you'll just repent, if you'll just turn back to him. Watch this, verse 7. For in that day every man shall throw away his idols of silver, his idols of gold, sin, which you own, hands have made, which your own hands have made for yourselves. Now watch this. Then, then Assyria shall fall by a sword, not of man. Remnant, people of the Lord. If you'll return to him, if you'll repent, then Assyria will fall. Repentance comes first. If you're not trusting the Lord, trust him first. Repent and trust him. Then Assyria shall fall not by a sword of man, and a sword not of mankind shall devour him, but he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall become forced labor. He shall cross over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the banner, <coughs> says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Exactly what happened, what is foretold here in the Scripture, is exactly what happened. And I explained that earlier to you, what happened to the Assyrian army. God sends the angel of the Lord down while they're encamped and they're asleep and he kills them. And the people who escape go back and some are led into captivity and this Sennacherib goes back into his, I told you all this, into his false temple, bows before his false god and while he's worshiping, his sons kill him and they put another brother in his place. So what's the application? Well, the application is the Lord will help. The Lord will help. Our trust will come from the Lord. Psalm uh, chapter 20, if you would, and verse 
number seven says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. That's a bizarre. You say, I don't trust in chariots. I don't trust in horses. The point, the, the point he's trying to make back then is that some would trust in their military might. Some would trust in their own strength. But we will trust in the Lord. May we never misplace our trust. It is a sin to trust in something or someone more than we trust the living God. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 answers the question, where do we go when we need help? Where do we go when we're in trouble? I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. You remember, I love it, Elijah is calling down fire from on heaven. You remember that story? And he's telling the, you, you call out to your bail. And he, Elijah says this, this is my paraphrase. Won't you yell a little louder? He might be sleeping. He's taunting him. You know why? Because Elijah knew that Baal was nothing. That our God is the only true living God. And he never sleeps and he never slumbers. There's never a time in your life where God doesn't know what's going on in your life. There's never a situation you're facing in which God doesn't already know what you're facing. We're mere mortal human beings. We can't fathom this. We can't understand how God could know everything about everybody all at the same time. That's why in Isaiah he says his thoughts are so much higher than ours. His ways are so much higher than ours. Our trust must always be in the Lord. No one else. In the Lord. Number two, there are consequences to misplaced trust. You might not get wiped out by the Assyrian army, but I will tell you this, if you turn your back on God when you should be trusting Him, there will be consequences. You can repent, but there will still be consequences. And nobody wants to hear that. We want to hear that God's here for us, and He's always going to do what we want to do, and He's never going to allow any pain, any suffering in our lives. He's never going to allow anything to happen to us. And as long as I'm His, I can do whatever I want. Not so. Absolutely not so. There are consequences. And the consequences become more severe the more you misplace your trust. The further you go down that road, the chastisement comes, the chastisement gets worse, and it will come to a point where you cannot handle it. There are some times when God has to put us on our back so that the only place we can look is up. If, he'll, if He did it to His chosen people, the nation of Israel, what makes you think He won't do it to us? There are consequences to misplaced trust. Number three, when we discover we've misplaced our trust, we must immediately repent. There's a battle inside of you between the spirit and the flesh. And this battle rages on. There is an unseen battle in the heavenlies. 
It's a spiritual battle. And guys, life is not easy. And life is serious. This is serious stuff. And when we hear the truth of the Word of God, we need to immediately act upon it. Uh, I believe it was John R. Rice said, Keep short accounts with God. Speaking of if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to uh, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you realize you sin, keep short accounts. Get it cleared up right now. Get it cleared up right now. Get it cleared up right now. Don't dwell on it. Don't walk away from it because the first time you do it, it's difficult. The second time you do it, it's not as difficult. The third time you do it, it's a little easy. And each successive time that you are uh, rebellious, it gets easier and easier and easier. Something about the flesh that thinks us we can get away with it just because the church don't know about it is ridiculous. It's the most, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. God is an all-seeing, all-knowing God. What makes us think we can get away with anything? I mean, Aaron. Well, Moses, we just took this, these bracelets and this, these earrings to him and boom, out came a calf. Come on. Are you kidding me? You think God didn't know what was going on? Absolutely he knew what was going on. I would add this. Be careful with misplaced trust because idolatry can creep in. Do you know the Bible teaches us that the the devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to crack the door. He's waiting for an opportunity to get in. Now, he may personally not be doing it himself, but he has a lot of demonic force that's waiting. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to, he wants to do everything he can to wipe you out. Don't open the door. When you misplace your trust, you open the door wide open for idolatry to enter your heart. Don't do that. And lastly, I would say this, when we fully trust, the Lord will help you. The Lord will really help you. There's this notion I've, I've encountered, sometimes even encountered in my life, this notion where the flesh thinks that if we trust God, then he's going to pour it on us, right, to test our trust. Has anyone ever felt like that or believed that or been afraid of that? You can be honest tonight. There's some people who believe that. What does that say about God? Well, someone tells me, have you read the book of Job? Yes. I've read the book of Job, and there are a lot of questions, and hopefully in eternity I might be able to understand some of it. Right now I don't understand it all. But I will tell you this, did you ever think that maybe Job went through that so you could learn from Job and you don't have to go through it? It's, it's, it's written for our admonition, for our learning. When we fully trust the Lord, He will... Help us. The Lord Jesus Christ, three times he prayed in the garden, let this cup pass by me. Again, I tell you, he was not praying about the physical beating, the nails, the, the, all the crown of thorns, the spitting on him. That was not what he was praying about. How do I know that? Because he told the disciples, men are going to do that to you. And don't fear them. Fear the one who can eternally damn your soul. Jesus, when he paid, let, prayed, let this cup pass by me, he did not want to endure the wrath of God. But he did for us. And he did willingly. And he did voluntarily. 
Three times he got up and he said, Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. It's a perfect example of trusting the Father. You say, well, he's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Right, but you remember the Apostle Paul? Three times he prayed, right? The thorn in the flesh. Remove this thorn in the flesh. Remove this thorn in the flesh. And I heard one preacher say, I don't remember who it was. I can't give him credit, but it wasn't me. I wasn't original with me. He said, I believe the reason why God didn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh is is there would be so many people that I've got the same affliction Paul has. Three times he prayed. Remove this thorn in the flesh. Remove this thorn in the flesh. Remove this thorn in the flesh. You know what? Then he said this. What a testimony. He said, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he said, Okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't like it, but I'm going to trust you. And the Lord will help you. The central issue of our walk with the Lord, sanctification, progressive sanctification, means that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Let me ask you this. Are you trusting the Lord more and more and more every day? I'm not talking about your salvation. I know you trust Him for your salvation. I'm talking about your daily walk. All the things in your life. The things that are messed up. The things that are good. The things that might be messed up. Has anyone here ever worried about something and then it never happened? Does anybody in here have a Ph.D. in worry? Yeah. I ran into a guy one time and he said, yeah, I just got my haircut. I got a Ph.D. I said, what? He said, a Pentecostal hairdo. That's a Ph.D. But think about this. <laughs> Some of you get later. What? Uh, Do we fully trust in the Lord? Now, I'm up here preaching to you. I'm not standing in behind this desk acting like I've got it all together. I don't. I don't. And I do not like to wait. I, I, I'm confessing to you. I don't like to wait. I just wish God just do it. You know? I mean, how many of you have ever had a test you had to wait on and you took it and they called you Friday and you were in a shower or something, you didn't answer the phone, and it's Friday afternoon, you got to wait all the way to Monday worried about this test that they had to have you tested for, right? And you call the doctor's office and they're closed. Why do they always call you back? They'd say, call us back, and they're closed, and you can't call them back. And you get in that purgatory of, uh, you know, press three, press four, press eight. If you want English, press one. <sighs> Has anyone ever been there? And then you got to wait all weekend, right? <laughs> and so the, my point is we, we don't like to wait. It's against our nature to wait on God. But if we will and we trust him, he'll, he'll help us. Now, what do we do while we wait? That's the real issue, right? Do we just sit there and, hmm, I'm waiting on the answer. Hmm. No, we don't do that. We get up and we serve the Lord and we do the things he's called us to do until he does what he does. That's what we do. And the nation of Israel couldn't get this, but we can get it because we see it in their lives what happened. And we know. So we can do it. We can do it, guys. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. 
But man, there's no help like the help of the Lord. So I would like to read one more time. This is an encouragement to you. And I, I hope it blesses your heart. Maybe you'll underline it in your Bible. I keep it underlined, 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 highlighted, and in a square because it, it, it really helps me. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence my, comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He's not asleep on the job. He knows exactly where we are. Let's trust him. Father, we, we love you.